there, Val. Gary. Hello there, Gene Hudson. Thomas. Kyle Smith. Welcome, everybody, to another edition on a Sunday evening. Hope everybody's doing well. How are you doing, Val? Wonderful, Chris. Wonderful, wonderful. It's been, it's it, been a trying couple of weeks, I'll tell you. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to check out our Shopify store and our affiliates down there. Welcome, Trista. Nice to see you. we got some nice products out there in the store. Make sure you shop and support our store. Hello there, Rita. Welcome, Rita. Nice to see everybody. So what we got going on tonight, Val? We got we got our friend Barnaby Jones from all the way from Wisconsin stopping in here on this Sunday, chilly Sunday afternoon, evening. And uh, it's going to be an interesting chit-chat talking Bigfoots. Welcome, kind sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Long time no see. So tell everybody who you are. Oh, I am Barnaby Jones. I am a cryptozoologist and paranormal researcher. I am the founder of Cryptids Anomalies and the Paranormal Society here in Wisconsin. I am also the host of Monsters on the Edge on the Untold Radio Network and uh, an author and podcast host and all kinds of stuff. So Awesome. Welcome to the show, cool. sir. Thanks for having good. me. So you got quite the... Uh, quite the uh, the list there, Barnaby, and I think the last time, <clears throat> the last time we talked, we talked about the, the, um, the uh, gumshoe, Barnaby Jones, the the fictional, <laughs> right. yep, character, the gumshoe, Epson. yep. So, so up there in Wisconsin, I know that there's people up there that that do a lot of research and stuff. What is your experience? What is what got you into this and, and um, have, have you had a sighting yourself? Yeah. So uh, I, I got interested in this, I mean, way back in, in elementary school, middle school and stuff. And uh, I was always interested in paranormal and cryptids. And I think that I always thought that Bigfoot was out on, on the West coast, you know, Washington, mm. Oregon and so forth. And uh, so I, I focused mostly on the paranormal I had a, uh, a haunted house attraction that was in a haunted building and I had several experiences there with the paranormal and we started doing investigations and stuff there. But it wasn't until 2019 that uh, I met Craig Salk and uh, he owns 80 acres of private property in Upper Michigan that uh, was known as the Hayden Adventure. And we went up there to this property to kind of take a look around and, and take his tour and stuff. And that's when I learned that these things are all over the United States, all over Wisconsin, upper Michigan, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, he put me on to an author by the name of Linda Godfrey, who has done a lot of work with the okay. Beast Road and the Dogman stuff. Mm -hmm. And I started reading her books which led me to a uh, plot of property down in Burlington, Wisconsin, that is known for having Bigfoot, UFOs, spirits, fey creatures, you name it, is down there. And uh, I, I called up one of my paranormal friends, uh, Derek, who's on the team now, and I said, I, I know you're more into paranormal, but let's, let's go check this out because I don't, you know, if, if anywhere is going to have something active, it's going to be this plot of land. And we went down there and uh, we got there after dark and there's like a little walking trail and stuff into it. But I didn't want to go in there at night because, you know, I, I don't know my way around, you know. I, so we, we parked in the, this little gravel parking lot and uh, there's a hill to the, the left of where we were. 
and we're hearing something move through the woods towards us. And it, it's big. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's probably a deer at this point, you know, anything like that. And uh, I took, I have a big flashlight that plugged into the cigarette lighter at the time. And I shined it from the road up that hill across the tree line. And as I got to about, um, well, whatever, along the tree line, uh, there was a, a branch that popped up as if something was like pushing it down and looking out at it from us. And uh, it was just this surreal thing of, you know, well, what was that? Because we saw it, we both saw it, we heard this movement coming through the woods and uh, no idea what it was. So we hung around for a while, nothing else happened, no movement, nothing. So we left and uh, we came back uh, a week or two later with a group, which later became the founding members of Cryptid Anomalies and the Paranormal Society. We went back to that same spot, went up on the hill, and we actually found a nine-inch long bear footprint, like bear human footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, now, nothing out of out of the ordinary and stuff as far as uh, could have been a person, but there was this track of trackway that led from that tree back across uh, this little patch of woods into a farmer's field, and so we went into the woods then throughout the day. And we had uh, our first, what I would consider Bigfoot experience. There was a a power line cut between a marsh. There was a a marsh and then a little ridge and then another power line cut marsh on the other side. Mm -hmm. And we're walking on the lower part of this ridge and we're getting this weird stuff happening up on the top of the ridge. And we hear like a whistle from this side of the ridge. And then there's the marsh and then there's another ridge over kind of by the, the farmer's field and, and that side of the property. And there's another whistle comes from over there and our side on the ridge back across the marsh, back and forth a couple times. And we said, well, I don't, I don't know what's up on top of this ridge, but something's up there moving around. So let's go back, backtrack up and, and go up the ridge to where this power line cut is. And when we turned around and started heading in that direction from the other side of the marsh, this huge branch was just ripped off a tree. And uh, it, it's it's amazing sound. The, the video does not do it justice, what we heard there. And uh, we we went back up on top of the ridge. We, we looked around up there, didn't find nothing. We exited and we're out standing in this power line cut on top of the ridge, looking out at the, the marsh. Mm-hmm. And there is this deepest guttural growl comes out of the woods from right, right where we had just been. And we all looked at each other and we're like, what, what the heck was that? And um, so after I kind of composed myself a little bit, I'm like, you know what, this is what we're here to look for. I got out my thermal imager and I walked back in there and I didn't find nothing. Hmm. So couldn't find nothing in there, whatever it was either hunkered down or, you know, took off really quick, but it was, it was an intense growl that, you know, there's, there's nothing in the woods that should make that sound. No. So we, we continued on. We spent the, the rest of the day kind of looking around in there. And then we uh, we decided to go back in at night back to that ridge and see what would happen. And we we walked all the way down the top of the ridge and we were coming back. And on the, the left side, when we're walking back out uh, towards the power line cut there, there was an upright figure that moved across. And I thought it laid down on the ground at the time. But now after doing more research, it went down that side of the um, ridge. The slope, yeah. 
So it, it, it was up here and then it kind of went down and I, I did not have video thermal at the time. I just had a handheld picture thermal. So I snapped three pictures of this thing as it went by and uh, you can see them on our website and they're on the, the first ever episode that we did on our YouTube channel as well. And uh, we, we continued on this path and then on the right side, which would be the marsh towards where the branch break was on the other side. Mm -hmm. There was another thing, a big heat signature that looked like it was standing behind a tree, kind of half exposed, half behind it. Gotcha. And uh, I snapped a picture of it. Cause I'm like, I, I don't know this was like our first experience out there. And I, I, you know, how do you, how do you stumble across the Bigfoot on your very first experience out there? This, this just doesn't happen. So I, I took a picture of it and I'm thinking whatever. And I got home and I blew this thing up and enhanced it on the computer. And you can clearly see a leg, an arm, half the torso, and then this dome shaped, what looks like a head mm -hmm. peeking out from behind this tree. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really interesting mm -hmm. like on our website, wisconsincaps.com. But um, it, that was our first experience with this thing. So oh, interesting. Now, when you say barefoot, you mean when you say barefoot, you you're you're speaking of bare feet, naked foot. Yep, naked foot without not without a shoes. not a not a bear, grizzly <clears throat> bear bear. Wasn't uh, Linda Linda um, Godfrey Godfrey from Wisconsin? Mm -hmm. was, was that her native home? Mm -hmm. Rest in peace. She's mm -hmm. passed. She's passed. What last year? Last year, I believe. Yep. Yeah. 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 She's quite the, she was quite the researcher. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting that you say um, uh, you, you're into paranormal, mm -hmm. Barnaby, because in my 12 years of research, Bigfoot in particular, although I've had experiences that I would probably um, classify paranormal as paranormal, it's interesting to me to to say that that uh, I've gotten a lot of good reports from from paranormal people, you know, the ghost hunters and that kind of stuff, because uh, what some people um, uh, uh, strike up as uh, as ghost and stuff. It's, you know, a lot of times in some of these cases, at least those that I've seen, uh, they're Bigfoots, you know, the missing stuff, the, the moving uh, articles, properties, you know, uh, stuff like that, the howls, the, the growls and stuff like that. Uh, you take, you take and, and research the area and the location and come to find out, lo and behold, look at here, this has had a history. Of, of Bigfoot sightings and encounters and stuff. And that's exactly what, what I found that they do. So it's, to me, it's, it's interesting to see the convergence of, of that, that kind of stuff, you know, in Bigfootery and stuff. So yeah, what do you, what do you think, uh, what do you think uh, a Bigfoot, because there's a lot of reports of Bigfoots in cemeteries. Um, what do you think? Um, and I, and I document this in data. I, I just don't say it it's it's documented it's a it's a basis in fact but what do you think the uh the motivation for bigfoot in cemeteries are what's their infatuation what is their interest that's a good question i haven't taken any reports of them in in cemetery areas oh, or yeah. here but uh i have heard that but mm -hmm. um 
I would, I would say it's one of those areas that just a lot of people don't go. You know, if you, you have a big enough cemetery, you know, it's not inhabited by people, you know, on a daily basis or anything. And uh, look at all the other animals and stuff that, that go there. You know, I've, I've personally seen like turkeys in cemeteries and deer. There's always deer in cemeteries around here by me. And I think that it's just a very good open area that they can hunt, you know, like a field. And if there's, there's access to it from a wood line or somewhere they can duck back and hide, there's not a lot of people that go to these cemeteries on a regular basis. Some of them you do, but uh, the more rural ones, it's, it's a great place to hunt and you can see. And I, w- I would think that's probably the connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed that uh, uh, a few years ago, there was a beautiful uh, video on YouTube that came out and what it was, was, it's, it looked like a mother and daughter, young girl, daughter, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, driving through a cemetery, like many of us have, had, have done uh, to visit somebody or whatever. And uh, the surprise and puzzlement in the woman's voice, oh my gosh, look at that. And uh, little girls in the background, you could hear on the video, mama, what is that, mama? And it looked to me, it looked to me like a juvenile Bigfoot uh, digging out, digging out a, uh, a grave. I mean, digging it out like a dog. <clears throat> I mean, just hauling the mail there, the dirt flying and everything. And um, I know that video was posted around on Facebook for a while, and then it disappeared. It disappeared in in clear daylight. You've seen this. You've seen this this uh, activity going on. Now there's several there's several reports of of uh, Sasquatch actually digging up corpses. Is as ghoulish as that sounds. Uh, it happened and it was recorded uh, shortly after the Civil War, where a family you know. Um, brought a member of their family home that was mortally wounded. He succumbed to his injuries and eventually died. And the family was, uh, was pleased that he was home from, from wherever he was at. And they had a spot for him on the family plot up on the hill in the Southern state. And they buried him. And uh, come to find out when, when they bi- buried their family member, uh, they had been bothered uh, prior to this by by a Sasquatch. Now, they didn't call it a Sasquatch at the time, but they knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And apparently, you know, the, it, it left footprints. And uh, when when their family member was was um, taken out and gnawed on, um, you know, in their mind, Sasquatch was a culprit. It did this. We buried our, our member and and it undug it and gnawed on it. It said in the report that the family members and the friends of the family were so incensed that they went out hunting for this and they were going to kill it. And luckily, as, as fate would have it, Mother Nature took its own just cause on this on this individual and dropped a tree on it 
or so they say that's that's the way the report ended you know some storm came along and and they didn't have to hunt for it anymore because there it was underneath that great big tree um i've i've heard these reports again i've seen them again it was reported um it was reported more recently it was reported i think in the 2000s maybe in uh, georgia this wasn't a grave it was a wreckage and it was a military uh chopper that went down in the swamps and it was on one of those days <clears throat> where um the post was on on leave or something there was a lot of people on leave i've been in the military before and i know that um there's always uh, logistics and stuff there's always plans and pre-plans and after action plans but in the event of an emergency like that situation that that you always prepare for there's always a reactionary force to react to something like that and in this case a chopper went down and uh, whatever it was carrying they did not want civilian people to get a hold of it and and uh, they tried to get people from georgia uh, to go in there as a as a response team, emergency response team, go in there, secure the scene for investigators to investigate the cause of crash and stuff. And, and of course, affect a rescue if, there, if there's anybody surviving that. And um, because of the way that, the day that this occurred, it occurred on one of those days where it was a post um, uh, time where everybody was gone, there was no, no emergency uh, plans in place. So they, they made the call to Texas, get some people from Texas, Fort Bliss or whatever fort is over there. And um, in the meantime, they were able to muster up some uh, military police to go out there and secure the scene. And um, it is claimed that the military police that went out there wading through the chest deep swamp waters they reached the they reached the uh, wreckage, and uh, as they approached closer to the scene, it it was reported that um, they heard pounding and and twisting of metals and stuff. And it, they know that they were close because it's still smoldering. You got jet fuel that's still smoldering. It stinks. It's heavy in the air. I don't know if you've ever been around a plane crash, aircraft crash, but but that stuff just lingers in the air like like uh, perfume in Walmart. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Pardon the humor. <laughs> but uh, they get there, according to according to what was reported. They have three individuals, hairy individuals, removing charred bodies. From the scene, and I don't think that they were there to to render aid. I don't think that that's likely. The thought was at the time was to open up on them with automatic fire, semi-automatic gunfire. You know, and uh, at some point, I think uh, the soldiers were pers persuaded against that. You know, maybe that's not such a good idea. How do we how do we justify this? How do we explain it? I would have whacked them. Just whacked them. <laughs> I would have whacked them. Sorry. 
So, uh, yeah, that that is the question that comes up all the time. You know, what's the ghoulish uh, uh, fetish that these things have with with corpses? If if they if they don't have the propensity to chew on people, you know, there's there's bad people out there. There's good people out there. There could be just you know jerk sasquatches that you know are are starving or kicked out of an area or you know uh juveniles that leave their their clan or whatever to to go off on their own and they're looking for an easy meal or something i would say something of that nature mm -hmm. i have heard a lot of dogman reports though out of cemeteries mm -hmm. uh, and i think i've heard that a lot more than i have uh bigfoot mm -hmm. but i mean i don't i don't know i could see those those creatures digging up graves and stuff, but not necessarily more modern because anybody that knows anything about, you know, modern cemeteries and stuff, anything that's freshly buried, you have a, a cement vault that the casket is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So anything that's dug up nowadays, you're not going to get to. So your, your mm -hmm. older story does make a lot of sense with the freshly buried grave being able to, mm -hmm. to dig up and exhume the remains there. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how desperate do you have to be for food to want to dig that corpse up and eat it? You know, when, you know, you like, well, nowadays you have a lot of roadkill. And I think that that's a major food source for these things is, you know, you, we, we uh, investigated a case in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, where we found this massive, what we call the graveyard. And there was animal remains there from, from fish to foxes, to rabbit, to deer, all in this one area, uh, just parts and bones and stuff left there. And it was uh, just at the edge of a clearing or just at the edge of the woods in a clearing that when you sat there on this like big mound, you saw up to the highway. Mm -hmm. So you have this clear way to walk right out there, pick up whatever just got hit and come back here, sit down, have a snack. And, you know, so I, I definitely think that they're doing that. Mm -hmm. And so if they're they're rummaging for uh, roadkill and stuff at the side of the road, I guess, you know if they have that opportunity to be opportunistic, opportunistic, whatever that word is. Opportunistic, yeah. Um, there you go. Thank you. That wasn't rolling the way I wanted it to there. That's all right. I'm like porky to pig, 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 pig. So, yes. <laughs> uh, they'd go for whatever they can get. I've heard them rummaging through dumpsters and stuff behind mm -hmm. malls and uh, food, mm -hmm. uh, fast food restaurants and stuff. So, it makes um, sense. Uh, you know, Depending on what state you're from, what region of the country you're from, a lot of the state agencies, natural resource agencies, have their own particular dumping spot where they where they dump carcasses and stuff. I know within the cities, uh, the proper proper disposal for a lot of that is uh, the local uh, uh, agencies with their animal control. <clears throat> they take these. Um, uh, carcasses and stuff and put them in a freezer and there's a contractor that comes along believe it or not they come along in this huge truck and they take all and they make these stops all over the place all throughout the state and when i say state i mean states plural and they collect these carcasses and they take them to a central point where they render them they cook them in a vat. They either make soap products from from the rendered um, carcasses, or they ship them off to I think Quebec, 
where uh, a major uh, pet food processing plant is, and they and they take the 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 um, the product and mix it with with uh, some type of wheat or whatever the uh, substance is. I thought he was getting ready to package say hot dogs. It, yeah, <laughs> package it up and. Um, and that's what we feed the dogs. That's what we feed the pets and stuff. I really did. I thought he was going to say hot dogs. On the other hand, uh, there is a uh, there is a report out of Ontario that described a um, um, a killing field, like a like a crater or something, and within that crater, in a very very remote isolated place. Um, uh, there were there were bear carcasses, moose, deer, wolves, everything. That's where they ate right down there, in this place. And uh, the hikers that went in there to explore this uh, were chased, and I mean they were they were terrified because because uh, they were being hunted because they were in some place that they should not have been. So. Um, Within within the stuff that I research and stuff, uh, the bone stacks and stuff like that are pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Not because of the ghoulish factor, but because this is what they do. This is part of their behavior and stuff. Well, that property that I was telling you about down in Burlington, Wisconsin, is right uh, at the far end of that uh, woods is an mm -hmm. egg factory. Mm -hmm. And uh, they believe that the Sasquatches are in there because they're going and picking through the dumpsters there and taking the eggs out. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the reasons why they thought that this area was uh, being populated by these things. Another uh, just very popular story here in Wisconsin down by Holy Hill, uh, there was a um, animal... Um, carcass collector uh that was working down that area the roadkill guys mm -hmm. and uh he picked up a deer carcass and slid it up in the back of his pickup truck and he would got in the truck to do his paperwork and stuff and either a dog man or a bigfoot i i can't remember the, the description's kind of you know a big creature came and literally just took it out of the back of his truck and he was so freaked out by this he he took off drove away he left uh the two ramps that he used to to load the carcass in his mm -hmm. like laying on the side of the road and he went back to get them and only one of them was there mm -hmm. so this thing took the deer and one of his his uh mm -hmm. ramps, so I, I i think i remember something reading something to that effect yes mm -hmm. um you see uh barnaby i'm not into dog men mm -hmm. so much however um i'll say this in my in my particular encounter there was um, there was a individual, and I think I've I've expressed this before, that uh, looked like one of those dogs uh, with the extremely long hair, thin, you know, in the face and stuff, and um, it didn't look like a uh, like like I would expect a Gimlin Patterson Patty to look like. It didn't look gorilla. It looked like like a species all of itself. But it was part of that group that that we ran into in Michigan, and um, for that reason, 
recalling those old Hollywood uh, horror movies, you know, with, with Wolfman. The man turns into wolf, gets hairy face and hairy hands and stuff. I can see where people would would extrapolate uh, Dogman into that. And so, but I'll say this. I'll qualify that by saying this. Um, I've been aware of of uh, of um, sub subterranean war going on in the world that we live in right now, and and I know this to be a fact because um, just the stuff that I read about army times and stuff. You know, I've I've served two tours in the military. I'm interested in that. It's it's you know that's of interest to me. And I'm interested. I'm interested to know that the military has changed so much since I was in it. You know, there's a space force now. There was only Marines, Air Force, Navy, Army when I was there, but now they got a space force. That's something like out of 21st century uh, science fiction to me. But <clears throat> um, a few years back, I remember reading articles in the in the Army Times that you know, yes, they're 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 starting a uh, a whole new combat um, force strictly for subterranean warfare, not above the ground, not in the cities, not urban warfare, warfare, excuse me. I I got that too, whatever you passed around. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But in that conventional war, but subterranean. And it's just, and I don't believe in coincidences but it's interesting to me to note that uh, with this all going on in this world that we live in today, <clears throat> you've got more and more videos and more and more reports of the, uh, what do they call the rake? Mm-hmm. Swing, the long swinging arms, you know, scaring people, you know, out in the woods, out in the cities and stuff Did like that. Did you hear what happened to me, Val? No. I was showing live footage on the air and I lost it. I, I was really having a mental mental breakdown. I thought I caught a, a rake in the woods mm-hmm. because I saw somebody else catch a creature. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you got to be Joe. And it was like, everybody was like, what, what is that? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Look at it. Once we blew it up, <laughs> guess what it was? It was the back end of a deer up on the hill. Oh, wow. <clears throat> hey, had everybody going too. When we first pulled it up, it looked like the rake. Anyways, so, so I, I, you know, um, whatever you got down below, um, is, is on the ground here. You, you chase it out from below the ground, which they should probably stay down there. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to see it. But if you create havoc down there, it's like, it's like disturbing a bee's nest, mm-hmm. you know? Be careful what you, you know, what you wish for. You want to see something? Be careful what you wish for. So uh, in that case, you know, I I don't look at that as, I don't look at at that the same way I do dogmans and stuff. You know, people talk about dogmans and stuff. I I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. It's just, um, I'm just trying to, you know, be focused in, in one area, you know, I know for a fact that 
Bigfoots have always been a myth, you know, a story, a lie, a joke, you know, everybody's joke. And I see now, the older I get, the more clearer it becomes. Um, you know, this is the lie. This is the deception that's been fed us for so many generations. You know, the fact of the matter is that it's real. It is real. And, and it was very, very hard for me to reckon with this because that's not what I, you know, that's not what I believed. I, hey, I just seen these newspapers at the uh, grocery store checkout, you know, these fantastical stories. But to see it in real life, to see it blinking its eyes, staring at you, it's, it's, um, it's earth shattering. You know, when you come to realize that this, yeah, this is real. This is not, this is not a uh, grocery store joke, you know. So, anyways, getting into that uh, paranormal side that you were talking about, what are some of the uh, more significant experiences that you had in these, in these uh, encounters? Well, specifically with, with Bigfoot or just in general? Uh, just in general. Um, yeah, we've, we've done a lot of stuff. We do, a, we get called to do like private home investigations and work with people. We have some mediums and psychics on our team that are really good, uh, legitimate. Um, and we've, we've gotten called to do one case that's on our YouTube. It's called documenting fear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we were called in because they, they lived in this duplex house and they had so much activity with voices and things appearing and moving and stuff. They cleaned out the entire upstairs of their house, blocked it off so that, you know, whatever this thing was could have the upstairs. And uh, they were saging three times a day. And they called us in because they were literally moving out at the end of the month to find a different place to live. And they wanted someone else to come in and, and literally document this to say that, you know, it wasn't just in their heads. It wasn't, you know, something that was happening, that this stuff actually was happening. Mm -hmm. And we went in there and we had a little bit of activity and we went home and we reviewed this footage and we got full conversations on audio of stuff that we didn't even know that was going on when we were there. And it's, it's very specific stuff that, you know, like we, we originally thought that this stuff was going on, like people outside walking past talking, but you know, the, the people out on the street, we have a a van with security cameras and stuff on it. We had somebody monitoring outside the whole night. There's nobody walking around out there Mm -hmm. and it's, it's just insane. The stuff that we, we got on this episode and that, so that was, that was probably one of our, our, you know, most intense cases that we worked was that one. Um, I've physically had a six foot fake tree thrown at me uh, when I was working at the haunted house. I'm sorry. You had a a six foot fake tree. Correct. Thrown at you. Yep. We had a whole swamp scene that I had built. It had a big Mm -hmm. waterfall and these big styrofoam dock floats around it with uh, ferns and stuff stabbed into it. So it was this big swamp room. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I went out there late at night. Uh, one night by myself because there's skylights and there was too much light during the day to do all the scenic lighting for the attraction. And uh, I was the only person in there and I saw this tree, just one branch on it, just lightly bobbing like this. 
and there's there's eight foot walls in this attraction so there's no air movement it's it's really mm -hmm. hot in the summer in there and stuff and uh i i walk closer to it thinking you know is is somebody behind it you know what's going on why is that branch moving and when i got directly across from it the entire tree started to violently shake and i took a step back away from it and the tree lifted up and flew right across the path where i'd been standing hmm. and uh i i left i you know I'm, i i it startled me but not to the point of like being scared because i'm like well what the heck just happened it was more to less of well we we had seen shadow figures in there i seen like we heard little kids laughing throughout the day in this building and all kinds of activity. And it just seemed to me like whatever was there didn't want me to work that night and it wanted me to leave. So I did. And I'm like, I'm not going to get anything done if you're going to throw stuff at me. So I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. So, hmm. but that, that is still to this day, the most intense experience that I've had for paranormal. What do you know about spontaneous combustion? Oh, I, I, I was really into that when I was younger and did some work with it and just researching that, but I haven't, uh, since we've been caps, I haven't done any work with it or heard any recent stories or anything. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I pretty much believe anything is possible on like a skeptical level, you know, like I, I want to, I want scientific proof, but you know, if you have, if everything is made out of energy, and the more energy something has, it heats up. I don't see why, um, you know, spontaneous combustion couldn't be possible. But uh, I don't know. Have you heard anything recently about it? Well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, I recall, I recall one day, one night. I worked midnights for 15 years. Actually, there was a case uh, last month on that. If y'all didn't remember, it made the news. Where was this at, Chris? Uh, I have to look it up. Uh, she was melted to the couch, and it freaked everybody out. The couch wasn't scorched or anything. No, just where she lay. That's that's the that's the oddity about this. Um, in, in in my situation, I seen this with my own eyes. I was there. It was. It's not a hearsay. It wasn't passed on to me. I was there as one of the responding uh, officers. Uh, the call came in, uh, by a little boy, nobody knows just my dad's on fire and, uh, you know, being familiar with the neighborhood, old houses, old wood frame houses, it's a tinder box, any type of fire with closely packed houses in high density areas is a uh, recipe for disaster, especially at night when everybody's asleep, everybody's in bed, but, uh, I scooted over there hoping that the fire department would get there before we do, because in my experience, uh, it's not nice. It's not pretty. And I'm not a firefighter. You know, that's not my, that's not my, uh, I don't get paid to do that. That's, that's their business. That's their expertise, not mine. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I get over there and, uh, two cars had already been there, arrived there before I did. I noticed they were on the porch when I pulled up, when I was pulling up and uh, <clears throat> they went in <clears throat> they went in the front door. And uh, by the time I got out and started making my way up to the front door, they were already on their way out of the door with their heads down. They didn't want to say hello. They didn't want to, 
uh, say, hey, you know, uh, this is what I've seen in there. Or they said they didn't need us or whatever it was. They didn't want to even look at me. So I stepped up on the porch, knocked on the door. The door was partially ajar. I walked in and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that I was going to be met by somebody saying, you know, hey, uh, I'm sorry, I burned some tortillas or something on the stove and, you know, smoked up the house. Everything is okay. You're not needed. Why does that be tortillas? It could be anything. Biscuits, okay. cornbread. Right. You know. Just saying. So uh, we go in there. I go in there and I'm, hey, you know, I'm announcing myself. I'm in somebody's house. They didn't invite me. I'm there to investigate uh, uh, an accident, but I don't see any fire. I don't smell any flames, smoke or anything. And there I am standing in the living room. Hello, police. Hello, anybody home? Nobody. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, this is odd. I see a black ring all the way around this, the ceiling, you know, where the walls meet the ceiling, all the way around this big room, there's a black ring. I've never seen this. I've seen a lot of stuff, had a lot of experiences, seen a lot of things, but I've never seen anything like this before. And it was so odd and puzzling to me. Not a soul in the house, didn't hear anybody, didn't see anybody, and this is just an empty house. I'm here because somebody's daddy was on fire. And I start walking through the kitchen. I walk through the I walk through the kitchen. There's nobody there. Uh, I see a bedroom off the kitchen. This is an old house. It was pretty tidy. It was it wasn't a messy house. It was it was old and but clean. And uh, went to the bathroom, checked the bathroom. There was nobody there. Out the back door, there's a, looks like a utility room or something. <clears throat> nobody there. Still calling out, hello, police. Who called? Anybody call? <clears throat> Go back into the kitchen. And I noticed that there's a, uh, a, a kettle or something, a stew or something. It had a top on it. I know that. I touched it. It was warm to the touch. I lifted the top up and looked, and, and, and yeah, it looked like a stew, and that looked pretty yummy to me. Put the top back down. I don't see anything. There's a little tiny kitchen, wooden dinette uh, table in the kitchen, and the house is so old, it's got linoleum on the floor. You know, linoleum, a, 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 a fibrous covering <clears throat> on the floor. And the, and the floors, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, the floors, I think, were, were plank wood, you know, just not modern or anything. It was just an old house. Go back into the living room, try to figure this out. <clears throat> and um, I'm looking around. I'm still calling, <laughs> hello, hello. I turn around. There's a little boy behind me with a little black cat, <clears throat> petting this cat. I don't know where this little boy came from. He's standing there staring at me, <clears throat> and I, he might have been in shock. I don't know. I don't know where he came from. I didn't hear him walk into the room. <clears throat> I asked the little boy, I says, where's your daddy at? Is your mommy and daddy home? Where are they at? Somebody called us here. And um, I turned around to look at the kitchen again, and he's gone. I don't know where he went. You know, for enough of this stuff. You know, I, I walk back into the kitchen. I'm waiting for fire department now. I can, I, I would hear them coming down the street. I, I would see the flashing lights and stuff. <clears throat> walk back into the kitchen. 
totally puzzled. I look on the floor. <clears throat> Underneath the table, I see the charcoal remains of a man. I see his legs, and I pull the chair out, and I squat down and look at him. And all I see is, is blue jeans, you know, like from the knees down. The rest of his body is charcoal. And um, I could hear the diesel engines, the Detroit diesel engines on these big trucks winding out, coming down the street. I see the flashing lights. And before long, you've got all these firefighters dressed and ready to battle a dragon. Axes, fans, you name it, they're coming in. And the fire captain comes in. He's the first one in the door. And he recognizes me. He says, hey, Val, what's up? What's going on? What do you got? And he sees me squatting down looking at this. I says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I got here. I said, I, we got a call that, that somebody's daddy was on fire. And I says, um, this is what I, I says, nobody comes to the door. Nobody's in the house. I says, um, and then I find this. I'm looking down, and they all gathered around, squatted down, bent over, and look, we're looking at this. And they said, well, what are you going to do? I says, well, I'm going to call a DB out here and hand the case over to them. You know, I'm done with it as far as, 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 far as I'm concerned here. Um, I don't know where it went. I don't know how it ended. But uh, I can tell you that... Um, there was no sign of drug paraphernalia that I could, that I could see. I mean, that was my first suspicion. You know, if somebody burned up like that, um, that's the first thought that went into my head. You know, um, somebody, you know, smoking a pipe or something, it, it popped on them and whatever. But the part that I didn't understand was this man was laying on the floor on those wooden plank floors underneath a, a cheap wood dinette set, and it didn't burn. But something was hot enough to burn him like that. It just didn't make sense to me. Did not make any sense. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of stuff. And I and I ran into a, a couple. Everybody DB, wants to know. Somebody, what it, yeah. Detective Bureau. That's DB. Sorry for that uh, jargon, that talk and stuff. Yeah, you turn it over to a, an officer in charge, the detective bureau. Somebody's assigned to that. They have to investigate it and stuff like that. But uh, my experience with that kind of stuff, uh, uh, guys, uh, it, it, started, it started very early at a time when uh, police officers were expected to go out on all these rescue calls. People had heart attack. They had back pain. If they call rescue, police go out there too. You take a report. And I was joined with another officer, double car, and uh, right out the chute, we had a call uh, of a rescue. Somebody was claimed they were dying of a heart attack. Go out there. Rescue's on the way. They're notified. You go out there. We're on our way out there to this address. And um, um, we're not there yet. We're we're pretty close. We're not there yet. But the dispatcher comes back in again says and wants to know what our location is. Well, we're en route to that address. Okay. Well, the caller just called back again. 
begging and pleading for rescue. They're having a heart attack. They're dying. Okay, we'll be there in a couple minutes. And by the way, the dispatcher says rescue's on the way. They've been notified they're on the way. Long story short, <clears throat> we pull up close to the address and my partner is looking over my shoulder, you know, looking forward, looking around. And he's asking, Val, where is that address at? And I said, wait a minute. I said, the rescue, I'm looking in the rear view mirror. I said, the rescue's behind us. They're just a, a few minutes away here. They'll be pulling up here shortly. Hold on a second. And he asked again, Val, where's the address? And I said, it's right there. It's on the left. Do you see it? No, I don't see it. It's the parking lot. I said, that's where the house used to be. <laughs> the man that lived there, the man that lived there three years ago died of a heart attack. And the family sold the house to the, the city. The city sold the, the, the lot to uh, the school board. They tore the house down, made a parking lot. But... The, the issue with this was that the man was no longer alive. His name showed up on the caller ID. The phone number that he had three years ago showed up. And we were there on that phone call based on the, the very same health issue that he had when he called before he died. And now all we, all we have is a parking lot. The house is no longer there. It hasn't been there for three years or more. In that case, in a situation like that, where uh, science fiction meets reality, you shut the lights off, you get on the radio, and I told the partner, I said, well, what do we say, Val? Just tell him it's unfounded. Shut the lights off, shut the siren off, and we're out of here. Go disappear in a neighborhood someplace and forget about it, and don't talk about it again. That's it. That's what you do. That's the way things are handled. You don't hear about it. You don't read about it in the newspaper. But for people on the ground that see this stuff quite frequently, you don't talk about it. But it does happen. And it happens, it happens often. But that's the dynamics of working with people. That's the people dynamic part of this, you know, this life that we live and stuff. And I'm like you, Barnaby, people, people are dynamic. You know, we have emotion and whatever emotion that we share in your house, my house, Grizzly's house, it stays there. It stays there in that house. It stays there on that ground. It's like magnetics or something. And it doesn't matter if the house is gone, whatever the energy uh, that once was present there, stays there, like an imprint, like your fingerprint. You know, you put your fingerprint on a glass, you're gone. You know, you've removed your finger, but you got something there that says, this was me. This is where I was at. And just to test that theory, think about this. Why do so many people have these kind of paranormal experiences at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania? Mm -hmm. Hundreds of years after after the fact. How is that possible? And I've been there and I've seen it. I felt I felt the um, the presence of something. And um, 
I don't know. It's just something that, uh, you know, we as people, we, we live around and we really don't understand what's going on. But the more acutely aware of your place in the world and your feelings and stuff, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we, we got the chance to go and do some investigating in Gettysburg. I think it was um, two years ago now. And, and you're absolutely right. It's the whole city. Like mm-hmm. just, just getting into that city just feels different. Mm-hmm. You can feel history. You can feel all this energy there that, you know, sh- there's no reason for it. It's just, well, there is a reason for it, but you know, you like, know what it is. You, you just feel different being in that city. It was a really surreal experience. And, and we actually captured um, on our episode, we got a phantom horse, Winnie, mm-hmm. and we got a cannon and musket fire at 3 a.m. So in the morning, yeah, mm-hmm. we got to investigate what was uh, the Glen and it's a uh, public access, not on the, the battlefields and stuff, but it was where the night battle took place. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we got the, the musket fire and the cannon recorded right there. So and we heard them. We heard them with our own ears at the time mm-hmm. and we got them on audio recorded. So really cool. Really cool. The energy so. is still there. Mm-hmm. All right, Barnaby, how does everybody find you and, and get a hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, I did notice somebody in the comments was asking about the Marinette Menominee Bigfoot Convention. I actually am speaking there this year, along with Chad Lewis, Doug Hycheck, and um, Rich Daniels. And uh, absolutely, if you guys want to reach out to me, uh, all of our contact is on social media right over here on the side here. We are on all the social media platforms at Wisconsin, spelled out. C-A-P-S stands for Cryptids, Anomalies, and the Paranormal Society. Uh, Or on Instagram, it's just W-I-Caps. And if you're interested, I have a brand new book out. It is for Bigfoot in Upper Michigan. It's called Bigfoot is Hiding. And it is all about 10 years of research and evidence and stuff on the 80 acres of private property in Upper Michigan, just outside of Menominee. It is co-authored by Craig Salk, who is now passed. Mm-hmm. But uh, he wrote the first two uh, parts of this, and then I picked up and wrote everything for the past couple of years since he passed. And we're still out there. We're still researching all kinds of cool stuff. The property, this picture was featured on Finding Bigfoot, the Super Uper episode. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool full-color book. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, Bigfoot is Hyden, H-Y-D-E-N, for those just listening. Very but, cool. Uh, if you want an autographed copy, you can get it on our website as well. Mm-hmm. So Very I nice. got an announcement to make. So coming up at 8 o'clock tonight on The Pulse, I couldn't sleep last night. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I found a full-fledged, 100% bred Indian having a heart-to-heart talk with America. Well, I didn't appreciate his language. So I wanted to test his knowledge on Bigfoot. Well, I assure you, he thought he pulled one on Grizzly. I'm going to make him famous tonight at 8 o'clock. I'm going to tell you who I talked to and what he said. I'm going to show you a picture so you can follow him. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. Cool. Yeah, cool. very interesting. Uh, he bowed down and was started calling me sir about seven minutes of the conversation. That conversation flipped real quick. He, he realized that he was not messed with some Joe Blow off the street. So he gave me some inside that he wasn't supposed to on Bigfoot and some <clears> other stuff. And uh, it was a very interesting conversation. I assure you that a lot of people was like, what the hell just happened? It was interesting. But tonight at 8 o'clock, ladies and gentlemen, the Pulse, 
check us out eastern time we'll see you coast to coast around the world everybody good night we'll see you on the thank next you show. Bye -bye. thank you barnaby yep, appreciate thank it you guys. thanks Chris. Yeah.